Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, FraxETH is there for you. FraxETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into FraxETH today. Welcome, everyone, back to Flywheel. Here we are after a very interesting weekend, to say the least. And we have on the head of platform at Reserve Protocol, Thomas Matamor. Thomas, how are you doing? Are you okay after this weekend? Is everything good with you? Because you're, you're at a stablecoin as well, so I'm sure you, you've had dealt with some depegging uh, stuff going on. I mean, for the first time, really, we have. And so it was, um, you know, I guess there's a first time for everything. Uh, I guess, so how are you doing, especially after this uh, tumultuous weekend? Uh, doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. It was a uh, exciting weekend, to say the least. <laughs> how, did, how did a reserve stablecoins fare? Because aren't, are a lot of them backed by USDC? Yeah, uh, a great spot to kick this off. Uh, they fared really well, actually. Um, they're the number one stablecoin that was launched three weeks ago now. Uh, we weren't expecting to get a stress test this quickly, uh, but the backing for that particular stablecoin is USD, which was launched by MobileCoin, and it was backed by 25% uh, AUSDC, 25% CUSDC, 25% uh, CUSDT, and AUSDT. And so uh, our protocol actually functioned as expected, and it, uh, it detected a default in the USDC, and offloaded that for Tether. And in a week after the current governance proposal passes, it's going to fully re-collateralize by selling off RSR that's been staked on it. Um, so wow. <laughs> we weren't expecting a stress test to happen this quickly. Like, I don't, you know, when when we designed the thing, we're like, what if Tether depegs? Not what if USDC. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think USDC depegging was on anybody's bingo card. <laughs> it was not. It definitely was not. I, I've, uh, you know, that's always, that's been the gold standard. I remember since it launched, it's been the thing. Right. That I'm like, yeah, that'll be fine. It's regulated. It's yeah. super safe. <laughs> Big blue coin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for, you know, people back home who might not be familiar with Reserve, you know, even though I remember you guys being around in 2018, 2019, mm -hmm. you guys, you know, have been working and building for a while. Uh, and recently, you guys have partnered with Frax on the Frax Space Pool. Uh, you know, we always see Reserve uh, and Frax check at the top, top of the list. list, top of the list for yields. So for the people at home who might not be familiar, um, what is Reserve and how is it different from other stable points? Yeah. Uh, so let's see. So our mission of Reserve is to help fight inflation, expand access to stable currency. Uh, like you mentioned, we've been around for four or five years now. Um, the original design of the stablecoin that uh, the team launched was called RSV, and the whole idea was around diversification. And, uh, you know, at the time when we were talking about the importance of diversification and um, whether or not things would, uh, those types of features would be needed in a stablecoin, everyone thought we were a little crazy. Uh, and the last, the last couple months have proven that to be really important. It's been, um, it's been, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, but to finish what we do at Reserve, we've got um, there's two there's two main uh, prongs of the team. Uh, one team is the DeFi protocol team, 
Uh, that's the team I lead as the head of platform. We're focused on building, uh, helping expand access to stable currency, like I was mentioning. Uh, we have a permissionless platform that allows anyone to launch an asset-backed currency that is defined by whatever they want it to be defined by. Um, so it could be defined by anything that's tokenized. Um, in the future, we hope and expect that these asset-backed currencies could be, you know, it could look like how people store their wealth around the world. But for now, um, we expect that it'll be anything that's tokenized in current DeFi. Um, the other half of the company is actually focused on building an app that makes it easy to access financial products. And so uh, we have a stable, it's a, it's bank-like services powered by stablecoins. Uh, we have like half a million users throughout Latin America. We're doing $300 million of volume a month. Um, and it helps people in like over 30,000 businesses. It helps them go fiat to stablecoins and back again in under 20 seconds. And then also just use, you know, things like Venmo. Uh, you can pay at the store with it. Um, it's just really easy to use um, your stablecoins in everyday life. And so <clears throat> those are the two different parts of the company. And, you know, together they create this, you know, bigger than bigger than individual. Right. I think that's really exciting. Wait, can we talk about this app more? Because I'm very, I've become more and more interested in the actual utility of stablecoins. And you just laid it out right there. Uh, <laughs> I have a million users, $200 million of volume. Uh, what is this app? What is it called? Can I download it right now? Is it available in the States or no, or is it not? It's not available in the States yet. Uh, it's something that the team's working on expanding access throughout the world. Uh, right now it's available in 18 countries throughout Latin America. Uh, we got started in Venezuela, uh, Argentina, um, but it's also available in countries like Colombia, Mexico, um, Ecuador. I'm going to butcher the full list, so don't mm -hmm. put me to it. But <laughs> it's 18 countries throughout Latin America. Wow. Wait, so how does it work? Do people just store their, like, what is the flow and process of this app? Do people like go into reserves, want to reserve stable coins that's on its platform. And then when they want to spend money, it just automatically flows out of it within 20 seconds. Yeah. Uh, there's actually two main ways that people uh, spend money on the app. One is just paying merchants that accept reserve. And so you can just pay in stable coins at the store. As it turns out in high inflation countries that don't have stable currencies, they want uh, the businesses want stable currency just as much as the consumer, and so they don't mind getting paid in dollars um, or something denominated in dollars rather. Uh, but the um, the other way to do it is you can actually um, you can initiate a transaction to your bank account, um, and it'll get there in under twenty seconds, and then you can swipe your debit card at the store. So people will uh, move money to their checking account for just in time transactions, just like that. Oh. So how does the rails work? Like, uh, we, yeah, yeah, we've built uh, we've actually built custom rails throughout Latin America, um, and we've got a network of liquidity providers uh, that make markets in between stablecoins and local currencies. Uh, one of the things that we were worried about when we launched was actually that you wouldn't be able to sell highly inflationary currencies. Um, but as it turns out, businesses need to pay loans, and so there's like a very healthy two-way market. Uh, in order to pay debt by businesses. And so it's not just a one-way street of sell the local currency, buy stable coins. Um, there's plenty of people that are uh, selling stable coins to buy the local currency. How are the fees structure like? Yeah, they're, they're really low. Um, the market makers take a small spread, but they're typically much tighter than uh, markets throughout the rest of Latin America. Um, you know, Argentina is famous for having 
uh, these like insane spreads and actually multiple different rates with the government rate and the black market rate. Um, and so we, we find that our spreads are very uh, consumable for consumers. Uh, right. I just, right, go ahead, Kit. I also want to finish up. Like, how about the actual, like, is there a reserve fee to, to use the uh, reserve off ramping at all or just the there, spread? There's, um, you, you're going to have to forgive me on my lack of specificity okay. here since I focus sure. on the protocol side. Right, uh, right. And I'm not as super familiar <laughs> with the nitty gritty, but the, uh, uh, but there is a small fee. We also do large amounts of volume for businesses uh, to do cross-border transactions. I mean, we do charge a, a small fee on that as well. I have, well, my mind's kind of racing here. So in theory, you could create like 100% FRAX-backed reserve stablecoin, and then you can just have rails to all of Latin America for FRAX. 100%. Uh, 100%. And I, I actually think that there, it's a great uh, option for Frax to use our platform. Um, and especially because you, uh, Frax in particular in the Frax community is so good at uh, generating yield with their stable coins um, throughout DeFi. I think that uh, you know the, the yield uh, of the underlying assets is a core piece of how our protocol works. And so I actually think Frax would be a really good uh, contender for someone to launch a stable coin on our platform. Well, so because this your stable coin like made on and created on reserve are yield generating stable coins uh, it can okay. be yeah it can it's be. Really, would it be helpful if i jumped into the protocol and how it works yes. a bit? yeah yeah let's go <laughs> all right cool um so the uh the reserve protocol it lets anyone launch a stable coin uh that stable coin can be yield bearing um it's one-to-one -one backed uh, and it's fully permissionless and censorship resistant um and so what is that okay lots of buzzword What's that actually mean, right? Um, the uh, If someone were to launch it, for instance, EUSD, uh, the way that EUSD works is it's got the Aave and the compound uh, derivatives of USDC and Tether as the backing. That generates a small amount of yield. It's around two and a half, three percent 3% yield um, over the last 30 days. Uh, that yield then goes to fund the uh, staked RSR pool, which, acts, it, which does a couple things. Uh, it acts as over collateralization in the case of default, like we saw this weekend. Uh, it also acts uh, as a good incentive alignment because those the staked RSR pool is the governance pool as well. Uh, those are the people that decide what should the backing be and also how should the revenue be allocated. Um, and so there's a strong uh, incentive alignment between the people that are providing over collateralization or first loss capital in the case of default mm -hmm. um, and the people that are making the decisions on where the basket should be held. And so uh, the idea is that, you know, the people, um, you you get what you pay for. And so if there's like riskier assets in the basket, you're probably going to have less people providing over collateralization because um, it's more risky, even though there might be higher yield. And so that, that's like the general mechanics of how it works. Um, but that revenue that's generated by the underline, it can go to the R token holders, which is what we call anything launched on our platform. R tokens, you know, just like C tokens and <laughs> e tokens uh -huh, on the nice. compound. Um, and uh, it can go to the R token holders themselves. So it's like yield bearing stablecoin. It can go to the over collateralization staked RSR pool. It can also go to any arbitrary address. So, you know, like let's keep using the Frax high yield coin as an example. Uh, you could send like 70% of yield to the R token holders uh, so that that yield is shared with them. Uh, you could send 10% to a curve incentive pool that just buys. CRV unlocks it and votes on that pool. 
you could also um, send wow, the, you okay. know, the, the other, I'm losing track of my math here, the other 20% to the over collateralization pool for uh, insurance in the case of like what happened this weekend. Sorry, not, uh, not insurance, over collateralization. So you can make, yeah, go ahead, Kit. I just wanted to add a question regarding the, the FRAX bit specifically. What do you do with those idle assets that are just kind of sitting there? Do, do you guys manage them in any way or do you just kind of let them sit as reserves? Yes, we, we, uh, when you define the, when someone defines the basket and deploys a stable coin, uh, they define what the backing in the basket should be. And so that, like EUSD, for example, is actually the A token itself is the backing. And so it's USDC that's being lent out and already itself uh, yield generating. Um, or revenue generating. And so you can have like LP tokens or lending tokens um, or things of that nature that are the backing itself. And so we don't, we as the team actually don't manage anything. Got it. It's all autonomously handled by the protocol. And so in order to mint the stable coins like this, um, you would deposit the LP tokens or you deposit the lending tokens. Now, does the stable coin, is it the, Yield bearing stablecoin is it a hundred percent yield bearing assets, or is part of it just you know straight USDC in case somebody like wants to swap out easily? Uh, no, so it's it's whatever the basket is is mm -hmm. what it's fully backed by. Although you ask a pretty interesting one because USD, for instance, right now is half uh, backed by just straight USDT, um, and that's because during the uh, default, the emergency backup asset that was defined in the protocol. Uh, was defined as USDT. And so it just, it sold the AUSDC and sold the AUSDT or CUSDT uh, and accepted as payment USDT. Oh, so it's like a parameter. It, it like, un, it like decollateralized and recollateralizes with Tether. Exactly. Uh, and you can actually, if you go to register.app, you can see um, this is all really transparent. Like what is in the, what is in the backing and, um, it's all in the settings, uh, and anyone can, any staked RSR holder can put in a proposal and create a new basket, uh, that can go through governance. I mean, I just got to ask now that it's so permissionless and it's very powerful concern regarding liquidity comes in with so many fragmented stable coins now, or our tokens rather, how do you manage all of that? Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. Uh, that kind of brings us full circle to the Frax partnership. Uh, we've, <laughs> we've enjoyed, uh, we've enjoyed, <laughs> we've enjoyed uh, partnering with Frax on getting the liquidity going and pairing things with Frax based pool. Um, we initially launched, uh, there's an, the initial pool that was launched with Frax was a uh, RSR uh, Frax based pool pool which is the one that you probably mentioned on the FRAX check with yep. the high yield. Um, yep. That's where, uh, that's where we've been funneling our voting power in the meantime. Um, but actually just uh, as of today, uh, the EUSD FRAX based pool pool uh, was added as a curve gauge. And so it'll be in voting starting on Thursday. Hell yeah. yeah. Nice. So you guys are really stablecoin infrastructure make your own stablecoin out of the box. Yeah, exactly. Make your own stablecoin out of the box and hopefully make it in a way that's easier for consumers to use. 
um, and more accessible for consumers to use? Like, do people, um, like people that aren't into DeFi, do they really want to be thinking about DeFi all the time? You know, the great thing about for USD holders, they didn't really have to worry about everything that was going on this weekend um, because the protocol, uh, like no one can stop it. Uh, the protocol just did what it was going to do this weekend. It sold off the USDC and it bought USDT. So if I had a stablecoin backed by basically Fraxland, so like Frax yield bearing Fraxland tokens, yep. F, yeah, F tokens. Sure. Um, and I set the parameter, like the backup, let the backup be, you know, US, you know, Tether, maybe TUSD, because now that's been gaining steam. Yep. I, yep. I'm basically making my own stablecoin out the box here. Yep. And then this stablecoin can be targeted towards consumer adoption in developing countries because you already have all the rails. There's no, you don't even have to like go and like build the wallet or build, you know, make establish those relationships. All those are set out the box. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the, you know, full disclosure, the app team, it is essentially managed app. Um, and mm. it, it's not a self-custodian app, it's centrally managed. And so uh, the team does have discretion over which ones they add to the app. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Like which stable coins they add? Which stable coins they add. And so right now there's, it's actually our legacy stable coin. Um, although, you know, in, in the future they plan to add USD. <coughs> now that it's... um. Excuse me, still recovering from Eat Then Reflu. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but so, yeah. if I'm like building, if I built a stablecoin, like, what do I get? Can I like, what do I get out of it? Like, do I get like part of the fee? Like, what are, you know, what is the incentive to build a stablecoin? Yeah. So, uh, great question. So, you, when you deploy a stablecoin, you determine what the basket is and also what the uh, revenue split is. And so you could define, you know, 5% of revenue goes to you as the deployer. Um, over time, governance could decide to change that. And so you'd want to be demonstrating to governance that, you know, you're providing that value. Um, Did by you say having at least 5% or 5%? Any percent. Anything. Oh, any percent. Okay. X percent. Yeah. X percent. Uh, okay. Yeah. As long as it's under 100. Um, <laughs> Actually, I want to make it 105%. I want you to pay me. <laughs> I want negative yields going to me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The head just kidding. Uh, but uh, yeah, so any any percent, and as long as governance thinks that you're still um, doing what you said you would do, which was you know maybe help market this thing or help get partnerships for it or something like that, um, which would lead to higher the TVL, then they'll continue to give you that revenue. And so we do think that it's an interesting opportunity for entrepreneurs that want to launch a stablecoin. Um, and it's, you know, we've been, it's kind of funny. We actually have very similar views to Frax in terms of like, what is a stable coin? Um, a stable coin, it could be a stable coin to stake ETH derivatives. It could be a stable coin to um, a broad index, right? And so that could be things like wrapped Bitcoin. It could be things like tokenized gold. Mm -hmm. could, you know, the future, I think backed finance just got an SP 500 tokenized. Right. Mm. So these are all yeah. different things that could be done. It's all stable coins all the way down. Heck, you've got a uh, flux finance with uh, treasury yield. There's all kinds of really right, interesting right. things that are coming on chain actually over the couple, over the last couple months. Even as there's been, you know, a lot of talk of regulatory crackdown. There's also been some of the most innovative um, bringing on chain of assets that we've seen in many many years in the last couple of months. So it's been pretty exciting to watch.
So what assets interest you the most that have been brought on chain over the past six months? You said treasuries. Is that the main one? Are there other ones? I mean, in a, uh, in the, the March, 2023 environment, treasuries are a pretty attractive asset to be coming on. The, the most attractive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. The really, really fine in the corner. I just want to go buy buy treasuries a drink. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so like, we're, we've been really excited to see, there's a bunch of competition going on there too, right? There's like Ondo and Flux, but there's other companies as well that are doing a lot of stuff in that space. Um, I think the, the SP 500 coming on chain is really exciting to me mm-hmm. uh, for a couple different reasons. One, um, because it's one of the you know most popular indexes around the world to hold. Uh, and two, because there's actually a ton of um, margin long interest on the SP 500. And so mm-hmm. if you look back over the last, you know, like 50 years, which like for traditional financial data is actually very well available. Um, you can look back at how much uh, margin long interest rate there was in the SP 500. And it's actually consistently uh, in the, you know, tens, hundreds of billions category. Um, and so like, think about that from an Ave perspective, right? Like how much, uh, how much USDC lending volume would that bring? Um to suck in if actually a lot of the traditional uh, SP 500 margin long uh, demand was brought on chain. That'd be really exciting. What's it in, you know, just to like further build on that, we're in a really, really weird world where it's actually cheaper to borrow on chain than it is off chain. Um, it's cheaper to borrow on Aave or Compound or Maker or Frax Lend than it is to borrow on interactive brokers, which historically has some of the lowest borrowing rates in finance, right? Um, and so it's, it's this really weird world where there's actually an ARB opportunity for anyone that wants to do this borrowing um, to do it on chain right now, which is bizarre, but cool. <laughs> Some alpha right there, your daily dose of def- of flywheel alpha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for me, I, I'm very excited about all these RWAs kind of coming on chain. The only pause I have is like when you start mixing these real world assets, you know, the the regulation overhang is just like constantly there. And especially when you start dabbling into these almost quote unquote synthetic securities type, right? It, it just comes into a whole different ballgame. <laughs> this is within the definitely Gensler's, you know, uh, uh, battleground to come after you. That's like well within his scope. Well within his investors. scope. Yeah, he doesn't need to, to stretch for like going after some S&P 500 uh, synthetics. Like that's just like my, my one uh, concern there. Like, do you see any concerns in bringing uh, SP 500 on chain? Um, look, I used to work in traditional fintech on and off for the last 11 years now. Um, and the biggest thing that got me excited about DeFi was when I first used MakerDAO and saw just the just absurd efficiency. Um, from an operational standpoint, like the last company I worked at was one of the largest consumer lenders in the country. Uh, and we, our entire tech mandate was automation, right? Uh, in an effort to make the experience better for customers, DeFi already automates so much of it. And so what I find, uh, what I'm hopeful about is that regulators and crypto can work together is I think that the transparency and the efficiency that comes from DeFi is actually something that regulators want and they just don't even know, right? Like there's actually a lot of benefits to the transparency of on-chain. There's some downsides as a consumer that I think are like something to really be careful about. Um, 
and it's actually the big reason that when we launched the app, we didn't do it on chain was because of the mm. uh, transparency from an ind individual consumer perspective. But, um, but I do think that there's a ton of benefits and over time, I hope that like people can start talking and seeing eye to eye on that fact and not, uh, not worrying about like one influencing the other too much or taking the other down or things of that nature. Cause I think that there's a big opportunity for things to work together and for everyone to have better products. Yeah. I really couldn't agree more <laughs> with your statement right there. And I actually, you know, doing a bigger bit of digging, there is friendly legislation that has been proposed or that's on the table. It's just a matter of organizing and getting people together to make it come to fruition. At the end of the day, like we're all in this together. And so it's in our best interest as both regulators and builders and consumers to get something over the line instead of constantly fighting and demonizing one another. Um, so I'm just curious about like, what's your current take on the regulatory environment? Are you as pessimistic as everyone? Are you hopeful like me? Are you somewhere in between? I'm somewhere in between. I'm, I'm definitely hopeful. I think there's, um, there's a lot of good things that are being discussed all the time. Um, you know, you definitely see some really strong uh, points of view from a variety of different folks in the government and from regulators. Um, I'm forgetting her name, but she writes, uh, she works at the SEC. And Hester Pierce. Yes. Um, I, I think that she's got a very cogent view of things and, you know, sees the benefits um, and the drawbacks of some of the changes that have been proposed recently. Um, I think that there's a variety of different senators that have been proposing awesome things um, that I'd love to see through. I haven't had a chance to read it, but I know that um, uh, Jeremy from Circle was talking about the Stablecoin Act. Yeah, um, that's the Trust Act. I wrote an article about that. Oh, you did? It's, yeah, I did. I can, I, I can tell you all of it. It's perfect. It really is like the – if that passed, there would just be a Stablecoin renaissance and there'll be a thousand different stablecoins launched on reserve. That would be awesome. <laughs> Bullish reserve. Bullish reserve. Uh, I was going to ask, um, what do you think DeFi and stablecoins can do to paint a better picture about stablecoins and its utility to regulators and to doubters in DC and beyond? A lot of it is exactly what everyone's doing, which is keep building things that work when things fall apart, right? Yes, um, I think that like when FTX happened, when there was the uh, the credit crisis in crypto over the last year, um, a lot of it coming from a Luna from Terra Luna originally. Um, you know, at the end of the day, what worked really well, DeFi. I know I'm preaching to the choir here a bit, uh, but the, uh, the the DeFi rails continued operating without a problem the entire time. Um, the um, you know, I think there were some blips when we saw folks like Avi test some of the limits of DeFi. And I, honestly, I thought that was really healthy. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. Like have people try to break stuff because um, you don't get enough of that. It's really easy yeah. to get sucked into today's world and traditional finance where stuff's breaking and people are like, ah, oh, that might break. It might not break. We don't really know. It's never been tested before. Right? Like that. That's like the worst case scenario in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, and so even though this... Uh, like this weekend when USDC depegged, our you know the first stablecoin launched on our platform was three weeks old, and we're you know at first we're like how is this happening right now? And we're like wait this is perfect. Like we want it to be tested right now when the market cap's only a million dollars, right? Like that, yeah, that's, right, right. Yeah. that's exactly what we want to happen. And so, um, so yeah. So my I think the number one thing is keep building things that don't break. Um, which I realize, you know, everyone's going to be like, oh, there's hacks all the time. It's like, yeah, but the big stuff has been around and it's been working. 
I think the Euler, the Euler hack this morning was really unfortunate. Um, but again, in the scheme of things, it was really small, right? If you think about uh, like the size of like general DeFi markets and also traditional markets, like it was really small. And it's good that it broke now rather than later. Um, yeah. The other thing is, I don't know, less hentai. Who knows? <laughs> I think I think That's there's a place the for hentai. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> I think there'll always be hentai around. I was tongue in cheek. I don't really care what people are into. Let them do their own thing. Not my thing, but <laughs> I think I I agree with you on build things that don't break, build things that are resilient. And I you know, my whole thing is DeFi. We're all guinea pigs right now. We're all in this minefield testing things out. And like every little action you take could be detrimental, honestly, whether you, which protocol you choose, you know, what uh, DAP you choose to farm, this and that. Uh, and then the other thing I'd say is just like highlighting utility, like highlighting what you guys are doing in South America and beyond. I think that's, I think legislators really want to see use cases, really want to see this stuff being used out in the wild. You know, how even something as simple, this might not be the sexiest thing, but people just getting paid their salaries, you know, people like going to safety and people just, using money in their everyday lives in the most boring way possible. If more and more people do that, you know, if let's say like if 10% of the population started getting paid in stable coins, then legislators would have to act to like make some framework. There is stable coins are much, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. What'd you get? What'd you say? I just wanted to add like payroll is super sexy for the government. Are you kidding me? That income tax makes them salivate. (laughs) Yeah. are you kidding me? Like, this would be perfect for them. They'd be like, oh, everybody got a report. Oh, we don't have to double check everybody's uh, income. Okay, yes, please. You know, here's my ETH wallet address. Just just send it direct. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There's a, I, I'm like a bit torn on that in particular just because I think that uh, one of the things that would lead to the most tax reform in the country is if everyone saw their entire paycheck come in and then had to pay taxes every two weeks. I think uh, all of a sudden people would be asking quite a bit more questions on where the money's going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, but I, I hear you. It's uh, we got to do the, the basic stuff well and focus yeah. on real world use cases. Um, yeah. With this, with this new financial system that's being built, there is an interesting opportunity for people to get access to this like new type of, financial product and this new type of yield. And I think that there's a uh, there's a really cool opportunity to use that to create products for people in other countries that don't have access to the same stuff in America. Uh, it's really, uh, I'm, I'm going on a full rant here. Hope you guys are cool with that. But it's really- uh, You're the guest, go as long as you want. <laughs> but it, so it's really, like to me, it's uh, most people forget that crypto doesn't solve that many problems in the US right now. Um, the products aren't that much better. Like I, I enjoy DeFi. I spend a lot of time playing around with it, right? I think it's really cool. Um, but like I have Venmo, I have a bank, which until this past weekend, I mostly trusted to have my money there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, not trust the government that they're going to take the money out of my bank account. Uh, I, you know, I have a currency that's probably the most stable one in the world. Um, like I, you know, Americans are really fortunate with the financial products that we have access to. Uh, if you go to Latin America, if you go to the Middle East, if you go to many parts of Africa, it's not that way at all. Um, people, in order to send an international wire transfer between 
um, Panama and Mexico, you have to go into a bank and fill out a paper form. Uh, right. And that's like, say, two two college friends want to go rent an Airbnb together. They have to like do this crazy thing that you know you and I haven't done ever. Um, we just use Venmo. Right. Uh, in Colombia, it's illegal to hold dollars in bank accounts. In Venezuela and Argentina, you don't trust that the government won't take the money out of your bank account if you hold dollars. Um, there's like all these situations that we all take for granted in the U.S. Uh, that uh, in, in a lot of parts of the world, people don't can't take for granted because they don't have access to them. Yeah, you make a good point about Venmo. I consider Venmo a private stablecoin. Totally. totally. Yeah. Like one of the originals. PayPal is the original. PayPal is the original yeah. stablecoin. Yeah. And if stablecoins were more framed in that regard, which they are more like than actual cryptocurrencies, then I think, you know, they would be treated a lot friendlier, to be honest. I think that's right. Uh, and it's, it's kind of funny. The team that launched... Uh, USD. It's named after the electronic dollar, which took inspiration from the PayPal Wars book hmm. uh, about the starting of PayPal. Um, they talk about the electronic dollar in there a lot. Mm. I've, cool. I'm not from, have you read that book? It's an awesome book. Uh, highly recommend it. It's kind I of guess, hard to find, but uh, but it's. it's a, it, I, you think it would be on like Amazon or something? <laughs> <laughs> you think? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I got an electronic version of it and read it. And it was great. Can we uh, switch gears a little bit and go back into the reserve like mechanics? Um, yeah. I, I'm mm -hmm. very curious to learn more about like how does the whole minting, then redeeming, and is there any liquidating uh, occurrence or, or could you walk us through that mechanic as well as the associated fees for the mint, redeem, and liquidation? If there yeah, is. Any um, can I share my screen on here? Yes, you could. There is yeah, a share button uh, right next to the the leave button on the bottom. Awesome. You guys see this? Yep. Yep. I got you. So got here is register.app. So register is the DAP that's been built on top of the reserve protocol by um, LC Labs, which is a, a, a contractor that we partner closely with. Um, they've built this interface that not only lets anyone I'm going to go back to the homepage here. Uh, you can see, and I've got a dollar on the wallet that I'm connected to. Uh, you can see uh, everything about RSV, which is the our legacy stablecoin, uh, which is similar to an R token, but it's not launched on the protocol. It is a diver or it was a diversified at, uh, basket of sta other stablecoins. Um, originally, it was True USD, USDC, and the Pax Dollar. Uh, we actually changed it up during the um, FTX crisis um, in order to go to the largest, two most liquid stablecoins, USDC and BUSD. Then obviously there was a, an issue with BUSD, and so we had to change it again to all USDC. Uh, and then USDC had an issue this past weekend. And so, <laughs> and then, you know, when we when we launched it, people were like, "What is this thing? Why would you ever want to diversify? Why wouldn't you just use one?" And the reality is that um, the app that has RSV integrated into it, they haven't had to change a thing that entire time. And we've been able to make uh, four basket changes behind the scenes. Um, and so, like, there's, I think, the last six months have really proven the value of this type of design, which is awesome. Um, but so you can see that, uh, as well as this transaction history shows uh, our pay transactions that are happening in real time. Uh, we anonymize the data by delaying it and hiding some of the information. 
Oh, is that like the app being used? This is the app being used. So yeah. someone just put Super in two bucks cool. somewhere in Latin America. Um, wow. uh, and then if you go to USD, which will show you a bit about um, how one of these R tokens works, because this is an actual R token. Uh, this is the market cap. Right now there's uh, 18, 1.8 million of RSR that's staked on it. So it's quite over collateralized. Uh, as I mentioned before, it traded out the USDC for f straight up USDT. So right now it's half backed by USDT. Uh, it is only 97% backed right now. Uh, it'll over collateralize, I believe, on this coming Tuesday. Um, and, oh, sorry, notifications coming in. Uh, it'll it happens. In, uh, yeah, so it'll, it'll sell off the staked, a portion of the staked RSR. Um, to make up the difference in USDT uh, next week. Um, oh, and it's it's ninety seven percent because of the DPEG, or or why is it ninety seven? Because of the USDC DPEG. Yeah. But USDC is back to PEG now. It's back now, but we sold it when it was defaulted uh, to make sure that these folks uh, had safety. And, and sorry, we yeah. didn't sell it. The protocol sold it uh, because we can't stop Got it. Got it. <laughs> so that's a good question too. Like. What are the parameters now that because because you've obviously at that point in time, the protocol did what it did. And we obviously don't know if USDC would have come back or not. Yeah. But obviously, you know, we booked a 3% loss here. Like, what are the parameters there to kind of um, yeah, so safe it's defined, guard the safeguard? <laughs> yeah, it's defined on the different collateral types. And so. Uh, the stable coins in this particular one, the threshold is defined at 98.75. Um, so at 98 cents, 98.75 cents, um, it will declare it defaulted. And then in this one also, uh, let's see, where are the parameters that I can show you here? Uh, it waits for 24 hours, which I'm not, we're, we're, this screen is still being cleaned up to show things. Uh, that we realized that people really care about uh, during this uh -huh. last weekend. Um, but it'll uh, wait for 24 hours. And if it's still defaulted after 24 hours, then it will auction it off. And so that's what actually happened yesterday. Um, and one of the other cool things that I think you guys will appreciate here is if you go down here and click deploy, you can create whatever you want and you can launch your own R token. And we've made this really easy interface that allows you to select. Um, anyone can write a collateral plugin. Uh, we've got a variety of them in the works, like you know, Flux Finance, Convex, Pools, um, more Aave and Compound Assets, et cetera. Uh, but you can define what you want to back it. Uh, it can also be pegged to not just the dollar, but the euro. Uh, it could be pegged to um, an index. It could be you know, 20% Bitcoin, 20% ETH, uh, 60% dollars, right? Like it can kind of be a variety of different things. It's really cool. Um, and you know, it, it takes a little bit to understand. We're trying to, you know, make deployer guides and things like that. Um, but the, uh, the interface you can run through this, if you know the information, you can do it in a couple minutes that you want to put in here. Uh, wow. yeah. Got it. And are, are there any fees for the, um, smart contract to, rebalance all of this so you know like any operations there are there is slippage and so yeah. in order it's an open auction and so it's a gnosis easy auction um that's operated where right. anyone in the market can participate uh there is 
Um, we expect over time that slippage will go down because people will, um, you know, more people will be participating as these auctions get larger and uh, become right, a more right. frequent thing. But um, yeah, so, you know, the people that participated in this auction were able to get like 1% slippage. Um, wow. Yeah. Which is in the MEV world quite high. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, it's, it's not as good as that one guy that turned a dollar fifty to two mil. Right? <laughs> wait, what happened? What happened? Oh, 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 you didn't see that? Like some I saw, some I saw, MEV person. I saw swapped. two million. I saw two million yeah. to five cents, but not yeah. one fifty to two mil. Well, someone got the other side of that trade. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> explain what happened. So somebody tried to do a swap with three three curve three CRV, which yeah. is valued about two mil. And then um, I guess that person who did the swap must have had some very high slippage tolerance or, or something. Uh, I didn't know you could set it that high. But then the MVV person basically paid like I think 40K in uh, um, bribe or tip to the miner. And then he was able to kind of sandwich attack that really, really juicy, juicy. Uh, I, I, juicy doesn't even come to describe it. That has to come down to like one of the best MEV attack. I mean, sucks for the other guy, obviously. I'm not not saying that, but it's just, this is, <laughs> this is just wild. It's just, you, know? you know, this is prime grade A rib. That's how juicy this meat is in this attack. Yeah. I think that's probably a pretty good example of some of the things in DeFi we have to make a little safer for the consumer. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, right. but yeah, that, that, was a, that was a heck of a sandwich attack. Um, Stablecoin liquidity was just wild over this weekend. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, USDC before the weekend was the risk-free asset of DeFi. Yeah. Like, no one thought twice about it. The only person that thought about it was Sam. Sam yeah. Cassidy Frax. He was like, it's the closest thing to the risk-free asset, but we want to get our own FMA in the future. He was the only, I haven't heard anybody else question USDC other than people would question USDC in regards as like, Oh, they can blacklist the maker PSM, but I don't remember hearing any concerns like, oh, we have to be careful about the banks really backing it. It was that was definitely unexpected. Uh, pretty uh pretty black swanny to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm happy we're out of I mean, we're out of this out of the woods for this one, but like what else is next? Honestly, like what could happen? Like, That's gotta be the final boss, right? I, I honestly, I'm not counting anything. I'm not counting anything out. Like, I'm happy it's like over for now, but you know, all of DeFi uses it's like back. It's like somehow based or backed around USDC is like the de facto yeah. asset of DeFi. In the same way, Tether is the de facto asset of centralized exchanges. So, it's gonna. I don't. I mean, what's gonna? A lot of DeFi. Like, I imagine them questioning, like, do we feel safe with this asset? Should we use Tether? Should we use something else? Like. You know, I'm wondering with like Frax, like in the community, like, should we add, you know, on the road to getting an FMA, should we add other collateral like Tether or like other centralized stables? You know, I don't know. Like, what are your guys' thoughts, Thomas? I'll let you go first. Um, look, our view is diversification is good. We've been, we've had a diversified <laughs> stable coin for three years. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, the, um, we, we generally think that like, Everyday consumers shouldn't have to worry about banking risk and shouldn't have to worry about um, where their money is held. They should just have to know that it's safe. It actually, just in general, like um, 
it's kind of insane that so much of the world spends so much of their time thinking about how to beat inflation. Uh, like how much brain power is wasted just by like, think about you and your friends, how much brain power is wasted by uh, just preserving spending power. Right. <laughs> like that, that's wild. Like how many people, like of the people, you know, how many people's jobs are dedicated to it. Right. Like that's insane. <laughs> it's so wild. Think about like what humanity could do if we weren't just trying to solve inflation all the time. And so, um, so yeah, so in general, like we just don't think that's something that people that humanity should generally and collectively have to worry about. Um, and so our, our goal is to generally solve it one uh, and make it so people don't have to worry about where their money's being held. They can just know that the money that they earned is their money. Um, it, just, it seems like it's like a crazy on one hand, a totally crazy thing to say. And the other hand, it's like so obvious and straightforward that that's the way it should be. Mm. Kit, what are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a tough one for me. I <laughs> after after what happened this weekend, I it really just reset all my first principle thinking. Um, it, what was your it, first it principle th thinking before, and what is it now? Initially, I was just like everybody else, I suppose, who thought USDC was in fact the risk-free asset and that it would have the full backing and support. Um, yeah, it was like the, the sky is not blue, which was completely thinking back. Now was the most naive thing one could think of, given that we are trying to build the decentralized finance future of France. And here we are relying on like a centralized entity to, to support all of that. Yeah, Waiting on like, for the banks to open Monday. <laughs> yeah, like waiting on the banks to open. Oh my god, I could not believe that. I was like, Monday. all of us were, were hanging, <laughs> all of us were like just hanging on to the fact that okay, the government gotta come in and bail us out. The government gotta come in and bail us out. And I was just like, that is not right. And it's like I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, I I, I really didn't. Like actually, I came here to try to escape that. <laughs> you know, so it was like everything just kind of went round trip for me, and now come to thinking back like that's what i was just talking with dave like you know we do this thing called frax check every tuesday and as i was putting together the frax check i was just like this is, this is comical right now this is this is comical and we have to talk about it and and now it's like now to reset it the first principle thinking is do we need to redesign the mechanic like or is it just simply switching out the collateral is enough right and is a decentralized stable coin even plausible at this point in time with the current asset types that are natively on chain you know like that that's the thing i'm, I'm kind of thinking about much more now unless eth market cap surpasses us dollar market cap then i don't think a widespread decentralized stablecoin is possible like especially not right now yeah i mean that's what amin said way yeah. back in september when we interviewed him like the ultimate eth bull case it, it really is. Uh, until that happens, you can't really have something like LUSD actually work that well. Um, yeah, it's just limited. Right. The biggest yeah. thing is uh, all all of those over collateralized stable coins uh, that are backed by crypto assets are very over collateralized necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Right. the cap, the cap. But but still, just think about it this way though, guys. Like, even market cap is I think what what 
to 200 bill, 250 bill, like some something around that, right? Even if you were to just be half of that, right? That represents a 200% over collateralization. And let's just assume not all of ETH is used to mint these stable coins, right? That still comes out to be like, let's say 10%. That's like 5 billion. What, like, you know, there's no decentralized stable coin that, has, I mean, I guess there's DAI, but they lost all of that. But <laughs> it's still a super large number, especially for the use cases that we have today. I think if, if, if it could work, it would have already worked already. Like LUSD is the best attempt to do Mm -hmm. that. And it's limited for a reason. It's noble and I'm happy that it exists and I want it to continue to exist and experiment. And I think that option should always be available for those who want it. And I always view die and Frax kind of allowing for the experimentation of LUSD. So the centralized stable coins like Tether and USDC don't just gobble everything in market cap. Like there'll always be you know, Frax and Maker as that like bull worth, like protecting the experimentation on super decentralized stable coins going on. Hey, BUSD had like 30 billion, 40 billion in market cap a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. It is but then, yeah, for, for LUSD though, I want to get your guys' take on this no governance governance, right? It is completely immutable. The contract is non-upgradable. It is what it is. And it's period. You know, full stop. Like, do, what do you think of that architecture? You know, versus something like Frax or versus something like Reserve, where there's like governance basically on each stablecoin, not just the overarching stablecoin, like how Frax has it. Um, I did you guys see what happened with with Rye? There's like there there are talks and murmurs of it forking because mm-hmm. uh, to like a uh, being backed by like LSDs and stuff. Hmm. No. There's murmurs. So I'm wondering like if, so I'm wondering if like with LUSD, if you have a situation where like it's completely backed by ETH and you want to like upgrade it. So it's backed by LSDs. um, Like you can't do that because it's not upgradable. So that's like a really, you know, it's so early. Like, do you want to like have that, you know, to you? Like, I think you should always strive to be immutable. And depends on like your design, but if you make yourselves immutable, you kind of like set in stone that you can't evolve anymore. I think it's likely that uh, anything that is immutable now will not get very, very big uh, would be my guess. And it's because like you said, Dave, we're too early. Yeah, we're too early. Yeah. Because uh, we're still in the finding product market fit. Every part of crypto is still in the finding product market fit era. And for anyone to survive that, they're just going to have to um, be able to respond and adapt. And I think that it's uh, yeah. really unlikely that uh, anyone gets it perfect. Like even Satoshi didn't get it perfect, right? Bitcoin's even Satoshi. Bitcoin's changed a lot over the last 10 years or 12 years, I think it's been now. Um, it, I mean, hell, I, I started following it in 2014. And uh, I got Bitcoin as a Christmas gift that year. Uh, turned out being a great Christmas gift for a variety of reasons. One, it like dictated what I spent all my mind share on uh, crypto. <laughs> and two, uh, um, and you know, it was like three hundred bucks at the time. Uh, but the um, the uh, since then, so much has changed. 
Like it's actually been, I think it's been super exciting to see the ordinals. Uh, come oh, I'm, I'm, it's so much fun to watch those things. It's the most exciting thing that's happened in Bitcoin in five years. Um, Since <laughs> the, uh, and it's it's really the Bitcoin fork wars. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's, uh, but like even Bitcoin changes and that's like the least changeable crypto, right? Um, right. And uh, I, I, yeah, I just, I, I find it really hard to believe that we will find product market fit for products that can't be changed at all. Um, this is already the hardest uh, industry to iterate products in. Like, it's really hard to launch and iterate a product in crypto, as I'm sure you guys are aware at Frax. Uh, it, like, launching requires audits and testing and, like, much more so than anything else. You know, I'm coming from traditional tech where we would, like, ideate and launch something in a week. Right. And then right. if it didn't work, we would just fix it. Right. But that's not roll possible. it back. Roll it back. Exactly. That's not possible. All right, guys. So. Take two. There's no take twos on chain. Yeah, exactly. No, no. Test in production. Exactly. Like. So it, it's, uh, so yeah, I, I see that there will just anything that is immutable now will be tough. At Reserve, though, we do try to make things as permissionless and censorship resistant as possible. Um, that being said, the protocol is very flexible and governance can do a lot of things. But for the most part, besides some safety features, like uh, there's there's a pauser role on our tokens that can pause people from issuing new ones or stop trading or things like that. There's a freezer role that's even more, uh, slightly more restrictive. Um, and there's actually a guardian role that uh, gives it like a group or an individual the uh, ability to reject dangerous proposals. Um, and th these were like some things that we had to design into the system to make sure that a, a token that's used to govern multiple things can't be economically attacked in the governance forums. Um, and, uh, but otherwise, everything is permissionless. Minting, redeeming, anyone can do it at any time. You can always get your assets back. Uh, anyone can launch something. Um, and this is a, like related to what I was just saying. Uh, experimentation, um, we think, is really, really important at this stage. And so we wanted to make the barrier to experimentation as low as possible. And that at the end of the day is permissionless. And so anyone can launch one, anyone can test out a new basket. Anyone can you know, say like ours is better than yours uh, and we can't stop you. It's good food for thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is the road? Actually, Kate, you go ahead. I just wanted to ask the minting and redeeming because I forgot to ask that earlier. What are the fees associated with that? Or if there are any? There's gas fees, um, but otherwise there's no fees. Uh, you, wow. know, you have to pay the gas to mint and redeem. And um, we're actually trying to work on a gas optimized like zap function to mint where you can just take USDC and it'll go get the various things around DeFi and then packet it together into a minting transaction. Uh, over time though, like realistically, minting and redeeming is a bit expensive. And so we do anticipate that people will mostly want to buy it on the open market. Uh, they want to buy these R tokens or stable coins on the open market. And it, this is a big part of why we're partnering with Frax and why we ourselves are also accumulating voting power and incentivizing different pools in the reserved ecosystem. Okay, makes sense. Dave, go ahead. No, I was going to ask, well, first I was going to ask what does the roadmap look like, but I was, I was going to ask, um, so you just said you're accumulating FXS voting power within the uh, reserve ecosystem. Um, 
How do you guys not, see yourself? Not FXS at the moment, although it's something we're always considering. Uh, but DeFi governance voting power. So. Oh, DeFi governance. Oh, con- yeah, you guys have a big uh, CVX bag. Yeah. Uh, CVX, CRV via CVX, CRV via SDCRV, um, and a variety of other things. Uh, and we're always exploring what is the best thing to be accumulating to help incentivize what's it what's it like playing in the curve wars what's it like being a player uh well i mean it's really fun i was always watching it right (laughs) (laughs) you're watching it now you're in it exactly um but it's uh i I find it really interesting because there's you know a ton of different there's a ton of game theory going on um there's a a large uh you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity to work with other protocols to find similar, um, you know, aligned incentives to work together, you know, like we're doing with Frax. Um, <clears throat> there's, a, you know, it's a tricky, it's a tricky game to play because you have to make a lot of different bets um, yeah. on the, you know, the future, like, Will price appreciation keep up with inflation of these different things? Will, uh, you know, like how, how does that all work? Um, is the price appreciation for a two week period going to wipe up the uh, incentives of, or, you know, renting votes, right? Like, will that actually not make sense after you've already rented those votes for two weeks? Are they no longer going to be valuable in two weeks, right? Like the, the price movements is a, is a big component of it. And so right. figuring out how to denominate things in CRP as much as possible is important or whatever governance token you're thinking about. Um, but yeah, in, in general, I think it's a super fascinating part of DeFi uh, that is like, I don't know if it's solved a problem, but it's a much different way to approach market making um, fees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, were you going to ask something? Yeah, on the bit about um, this, the curve wars, I've been thinking about it too. It's like, mm-hmm. The fees paid, you know, instead of paying like a market maker a certain level of fee or, or whatnot, you are using the users. You're incentivizing the users to do that for you, but you have to do so in a way that is, you know, plus, you know, EV for yourself and your protocol, as well as enough cheese for the users to go and get after it. It's such like a delicate balance. And more importantly, it doesn't just rely on your balancing. It's all the other participants as well, all the other CVX holders. So it's a really dynamic game. And I feel obviously Frax does it one of the best. We have one of the best liquidity for $1 bribe, how much liquidity we incentivize. And I track that weekly. And I need to do that with all the other protocols so we can do a side-by-side comparison. But I feel like I'm, I'm imagining things like USDC or any of these other centralized stables who've never played this game before to come in and try to play this game. And like, where would they even start to think about on-chain liquidity, right? Like, do they just start <laughs> market buying a bunch of CVX CRV bags and then like, all right, guys, I'm here. <laughs> I, I, I bought the ammo. <laughs> where do I point it? <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, it's a tricky thing to figure out how to do it um, uh, sustainably, for sure. But it's uh, it's kind of funny. At the same time, it's like if USDC wanted to get involved, they could win tomorrow. Oh, my God. 
They would just dominate. <laughs> like CVX isn't that expensive at the end of the day. Um, like compared to a company like Circle or a company like Coinbase. And so it's a it's an interesting um I wonder why they don't. I guess they make that much money, like think about all their the volume and everything off chain. Yeah. No, I don't think they need to. Because yeah, like, don't need to. All all three of us assumed that USDC was like primo A one steak sauce. But you know, definitely we we've we've learned to, uh this weekend that it's definitely not. And, and maybe they have I, to start vote yeah. incentivizing after this week. I agree. That, that's what I'm that's kind of what I'm leading into is I like, don't think they, USDC yeah. needs to. I think they have a different way of maintaining their peg in reality. Um and maintaining liquidity. It's it's easier for them. They're the biggest name. They are the biggest, safest name. I still think they're the biggest, safest name. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think this this weekend's going to really change anything on that front, to be honest. Um, I don't think they need to play, but for any DeFi stablecoin, you definitely have to figure out how to play. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a funny, uh, it's, a, it's definitely a funny dynamic. <laughs> so what do you think the future looks like for stablecoins when we reach trillions of dollars in circulation of all different stablecoins, you know, it's with like curve, convex, frax, reserve. What do you imagine that looking like in a few years? Yeah, um, it's interesting. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more yield bearing stable coins. Um, I think that I wonder where they're going to go. I wonder where they're going to be created. I have no idea. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously biased, like you're alluding to there. Um, but I do, I do think that we'll see that because I think that it's a good savings mechanism for people around the world. Um, dollars are a great savings mechanism. Yield-bearing dollars are a better savings mechanism. Um, I remember I saw someone uh, at Coinbase tweet like, why, I don't understand. Why don't people in Latin America just use DeFi to generate yield on dollars? And it's like, well, come on. <laughs> uh, like that's not going to happen. And what's interesting about a yield-bearing stablecoin is that it can package all of that up and make it super exportable. And like, for instance, a yield-bearing uh, stablecoin on reserve, you can take that yield-bearing stablecoin that's over collateralized with staked RSR. You can uh, bridge it to an L2. You can hold it in a SEX. And that over collateralization and that yield flows no matter what. Um, doesn't matter where it's held. And that, like I, I do think that that is just a better product. Um, we saw there, there was like a you know a small glitch in the governance process which slowed it down. But you know if things worked out as expect as uh, designed, it would have uh, the over collateralization would have reimbursed the USD holders faster than the FD, FDIC did over the weekend. Um, that's a great line to say. Oh, I, I, I was going to say, that's wow. a great <laughs> you guys, Can you repeat that one more time? The, your mechanism it would reimburse people faster than the, the FDIC? It, in uh, normal operations, it would reimburse the uh, holders faster than the FDIC would over the weekend. Um, FDIC, wow. FDIC typically comes in on a Friday and closes the bank and reimburses folks on Monday. Uh, and our, our protocol in normal operations would do it faster. Um, you know, the first one, it didn't go as smoothly, uh, but in, in the future we expect it to. And so it, it's like, why wouldn't everyone around the world want that? Um, it just seems unlikely to me. So with the reserve stablecoin and the yield bearing assets backing it, are you earning yield 
by holding the stablecoin or or no or is it or is or no i, it I didn't get that part it, it appreciates. appreciates it doesn't uh, rebate and we did that for a couple different reasons uh namely that uh rebasing tokens break stuff oh yeah that's why frax i mean we see fraxy the reason way it's, it's designed so could i put it in like do you guys have like a vault where i can like put the stablecoin into like earn yield like s fraxy uh, no, it's actually, it just appreciates in terms oh, of, it just appreciates. Yeah, yeah, the redemption value just gets higher and higher over time as the yield accumulates. Oh, okay. So I can redeem, when I go to redeem it, it will be higher than when I minted it. Exactly. And since it's a redeemable fully one-to-one at all times, uh, and if it, if it is a appreciated stable coin, then it increases in how much you can redeem it for. We expect similar dynamics to USDC where it's actually really easy to keep the peg. Um, once once a R token can get to a certain market cap where gas price doesn't matter anymore, it's really easy for arbitragers to just, you know, take any difference because they can go redeem it right away. Um, and so we're, we're, you know, we're excited about that element of it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the yield just, it, it just uh, increases the redemption value um, as the yield accumulates in the background. So similar to, I believe FPI is similar. Yeah. Similar, similar uh, mechanism there. Interesting. I, what does the roadmap for reserve look like? Yeah. So we're, we're really excited right now to focus on uh, building more collateral plugins because the interface that I showed you, there's a list of collateral plugins. Those are uh, wrappers for every protocol. Mm -hmm so that the protocol knows how to handle the default scenario. Uh, with Aave and Compound, it's pretty straightforward. With Curve, it's a bit more uh, complex. You have to understand basically how the curve curve works. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but there's no reason that can't be, you know, we're, we're working on it. It's in progress. Uh, same thing for things like Flux Finance. Same things for uh, actually State Frax ETH um, is in progress right now. Uh, as Ooh. well as other LSDs. And so you could, you know, offer it, you could create like a diversified LSD basket um, of a variety of different things. Um, and so we're excited to bring more collateral plugins so that the Lego box is bigger. Um, and so that people can create these. I like Legos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave, let me, let me know when you're ready to, uh, to deploy your own stable coin. The, you know, I will. The Dave. DeFi Dave's very special stablecoin. Yeah. <laughs> Dave's stablecoin of all of the stablecoins. Yeah. 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 Flywheel approved. Yeah. And you could even give 2% of the revenue to the Flywheel pod to help fund operations. Um, you're, you're already thinking like I am here. We're we'll <laughs> definitely talking after the show because I have a number of ideas going on. <laughs> so, so Thomas... I just want to have an example. Let's say I have Frax ETH and I want to deposit that into, or rather S Frax ETH. And then I want to deposit that into the um, reserve contract. Mm -hmm. Do I mint like our tokens pegged at a dollar from this uh, S Frax ETH? Or do I just mint more S Frax ETH as the stable coin to track one-to-one -one with S Frax ETH? Yep. So step one, you would deploy a stable coin with, you'd find SFRAX ETH in here, and you'd uh -huh. deploy a stable coin with it as a part of the basket, whether it was the whole basket or just part of the basket. 
uh, and then you would go to the R token page for whatever this R token was that was backed partially by SFRAXETH, you would do mint. And it would look here and it would say, do you have those things in your basket? Okay, great. I'm going to, like right now, I happen to have the makeup of USD, which is CUSDT, AUSDT, and USDT itself. Uh, I can mint seven cents worth of it. Um, but you would do the same thing. And so it would take those tokens in your wallet and put them into the protocol and in return give you the R token. And, and this R token that you would just mint, does that track the price of, of ETH, like like one to one, or does it mint you dollars of it? Or I'm, I'm, I guess I'm confused there. <laughs> yeah, so for Frax ETH, you'd probably want to peg it to ETH. Mm-hmm. Okay, got um, it, got it. So but like for, it, for this one, which is backed by Tether, uh, you know, it's pegged to a dollar, it's backed by dollar denominated assets. Um, technically you can back a dollar denominated asset with volatile assets, but it just means that the over collateralization pool would get hit all the time. Anytime the price, yeah. the right. parameter. So it's not a CDP. It, it's more of a, a basket of whatever asset you put in there and it tracks exactly. that asset, not a CDP. What are the legal ramifications of individuals launching your own stablecoin through your protocol? Is it since it's permissionless and you're just launching it, it's. No, it doesn't go and like, isn't considered the same thing as like other activities. Yeah, look, I, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an accountant, I'm not all, you know, I'm not a, any of those things. Uh, I'm not a financial investment advisor. I think I covered the big three there. Uh, but the um, when you're deploying a R token on the reserve protocol, you're just deploying the set of contracts to the Ethereum blockchain, uh, which then lets anyone interact with them. And that's free speech. Exactly. Uh, and so not legal advice. <laughs> legal advice. Uh, and so you're you're deploying you're deploying a set of contracts that all it does is define how people can use those con that those contracts. It just defines what the basket is that you need to deposit in order to get a receipt back um, and vice versa. And so uh, the uh, we we think that there's I mean, this is actually really interesting. Um, is an art <clears throat> Isn't our token a security? In some cases, yes, and in some cases, probably no. Um, if it's backed by security-like assets, for instance, if it's backed by the tokenized SP500, it's probably a security, right? But if it's backed by dollars or ETH or something like that, uh, it, it has decentralized governance. If you use the out-of-the-box governance, you can actually use whatever governance you want, but if you use the out-of-the-box governance, you're using decentralized governance um, where anyone can choose to participate in the governance. Um, and, you know, I think that that's been proven a few times now that that is like one of the key differentiators for a decentralized non-security asset. Uh, and <clears throat> again, I'm not a lawyer. Um, and I'm going to, you know, ask my GC to review this, uh, my, my, our definition here. <laughs> but it, our, our understanding is uh, some of these things are securities, some of these things are not. As long as you're launching something that's not a security, uh, then there's no ramifications. Got, Got it. it. Again, he's not a lawyer. He's the head of platform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a question then, Thomas, could you do more than just ERC-20s? Could you do some fun stuff with some NFTs, kind of like an index fund per se of EFTs? And, and also, oh, is it NFTs? available on L2s is, or is it yes. all on Maynet? 
So we're exploring if we should deploy it on other platform, on other protocols or other chains rather. Sorry, um, the uh, right now it's only deployed deployed on ETH mainnet, and that's for two reasons. One is security, and two is it's where eighty percent of DeFi liquidity is. Uh, yep. And if you're going to build something that is backed by other assets, you need uh, liquid assets on chain. And so right now it's there. You need the uh, other assets. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the tokens themselves, though, once it's deployed, it's an ERC-20 token. So EUSD is an ERC-20 token. It's actually already been bridged to another blockchain. Um, it's been bridged to the MobileCoin blockchain. Uh, MobileCoin, like I mentioned, launched EUSD. Uh, and they bridged it to their blockchain in order for anyone to use on their network. And so if you actually go download the Mobi app, uh, you can send EUSD privately around the world in under five seconds. Uh, with sub quarter cent transaction fees, which is pretty cool. It's like, you know, international crypto Venmo. Like what I like what I dreamed of when I first learned about crypto. Wow. You actually just do in Moby. It's really cool. Um, the uh, but yeah, so you can lo- you can bridge these ERC twenties to any blockchain just like any other ERC twenty. Um, the the backing of an R token does need to be an ERC twenty. But mm-hmm. like we've you know like I, we have uh, so Ave rebases. And so you might have noticed in the interface that the backing is called SAUSDC or SAUSDT. And that's just a static Aave wrapper. Um, And so you can wrap anything in an ERC-20 wrapper and make it an ERC-20. This is like one of the beauties of programmable money, right? Um, And it's, you know, the same thing with uh, uh, like some vaults you can wrap, um, like convex vaults. Uh, We're just wrapping the convex vault. and then you'll be able to do it. Uh, I think it's kind of a similar setup to how when you use Frax Convex, uh, you stake the LP token from Curve in Convex and then deposit the Convex vault into the Frax vault on Convex. Um, and that allows you to get that juicier FXS yield as well. And so and they can wrap that and make a stable coin out of it. Exactly. <laughs> God, that's so, that's so much wrapping. Oh my God. I mean, but at least, at least reserves token naming convention is very easy to understand. It's R X Y Z, right? God. Convex need- is like stake convex FXS CVX CRV CVX CRV. You know what? Though? <laughs> you go to traditional finance uh, and you look at the different, like the QCIPs. That's true. Or like the QCIPs are crazy. The bonds, you know, it's like INV, SPY, you know, there's like all these crazy different. Oh, names. of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Those sure. That's where we learned it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that it, it's, uh, I think that it's natural for some of the more things in DeFi to have more exotic names, uh, but over time to make them consumer friendly, uh, you, you need to make it easily packaged and wrapped. Uh, and, you know, this is one of the things that we think is awesome about our tokens. It allows these like complex things behind the scenes to be wrapped up into a single product uh, that anyone can access and not worry about on any chain, on any sex and any app, whatever. Got it. This has been a very enlightening interview. Um, I think I've been, I feel like after every interview, I get pilled on like whoever I interview, but I've definitely been reserved pilled, especially for the applications I can see for Frax and potentially uh, myself and Flywheel in the future. So (laughs) Kit, do you want to wrap this up? Do you have any other questions? Um, Last question. Let's, you know, since we're all kind of in this doom and gloom, could you share with me some like challenges that reserves are, are facing right now? And what's kind of keeping you up at night? Yeah, well, let's see. Uh, the thing that kept me up all weekend was 
uh, you know, hoping that the our first recollateralization, uh, <laughs> like <laughs> permissionless recollateralization process went well. Um, and uh, you know, I think going forward, we're really just excited to build more Legos, um, and then we're excited to see like what people want to build. Uh, I think the the biggest concern with anyone is that like no one will want to use it. Right. And so that's the thing that keeps me up. And so I'm trying to always talk to people and understand like, all right, what would you build it? What would you build with it? What are the collateral plugins you need? Are we building the right things? You know, um, the, uh, you know, like I said earlier, it's really hard to build in DeFi because you have to, you know, measure 10 times cut once. And so I want to make sure that we're spending our time on the right stuff. Um, I think that's probably the thing that keeps me up at night. And then what does success look like for reserve? Kit, I know this is your kind of question, but what does success look like for reserve in the future? Uh, the business model is very, very simple. It's very, it's really similar to Frax. It's really similar to Circle. Grow TVL. The more assets in the protocol, uh, the more revenue that's flowing through it. Uh, we'll be participating as governors uh, in staking uh, company RSR onto the R tokens. And mm-hmm. so we just want to see that grow and see more cash flow go into the staked RSR holders. Wait, so the only revenue comes from the yield bearing underlying assets. There's nope. no fees on top of anything. No fees on top of anything. There's no fees. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Wow. That's why I call so it sustainable. Game. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we have a, we have a similar model to circle, right? Um, and so the more yields that come on chain, uh, the more yields increase on chain and the more DeFi is actually used, um, the more opportunity there is for uh, our tokens to capture some of that yield and uh, cr- package it up into consumable pieces for right. other people to hold. All right. All right. Well, Circle's kind of different though, right? Because they actually take the USD and they go and do the farming themselves, whereas you guys just let the people come with what they have and we'll just bag hold with you. (laughs) Look, like we, um, we aren't launching any of our tokens ourselves. Uh, We we think that it's, you know, we want to work with other people to see. We don't think that we have the best answer, right? Like we don't think that uh, we don't know how to solve inflation ourselves. We think that this is like a really amazing platform for people to experiment on and to help us together as an ecosystem discover how to solve inflation. And so, um, so yeah, so we will help people, we'll ideate with them. Uh, you know, we can help them with branding. We can help them with design. Um, but we're, we're going to, uh, we can help them with, you know, our voting power on CDX. Um, but, uh, but we're not going to actually launch any ourselves. And so, you know, like oh. mobile coin launched the first one. We're talking to a bunch of different people about launching a variety of different ones. Um, but we're, we're excited wow. to work with anyone that wants to, uh, you know, help us grow the, the inflation fighting ecosystem at Reserve. <laughs> Amen Good to mission, that. man. Good mission. And, and on that note, let's get into our lightning round. All right. So, Thomas, at the end of these pods, we like to get to know, you know, uh, the man behind the builder. Like, right. we want to get to know you a little bit. The so man behind the platform. Question, the man behind the platform. And I always start with, what was your virgin crypto experience? When did you first touch the chain and sexes don't count? Uh, transfers between sexes was probably the first time I touched the chain. <laughs> 
Uh, I realize Ooh. that doesn't really count. I did use bisexes, um, <laughs> yeah. bisexual over here. <laughs> did, uh, Got it. Yeah, I think you know transferring to, uh, um, probably like Binance or Poloniex or Bittrex, one of the uh, 2015, 2016 uh, fun ones. Um, I get a ledger before the twenty seventeen run up. Uh, that was one of the first times I like really used it myself. And then, uh, I used a Dex before a Dex was, uh, barely usable. Um, Ether Delta. Uh, I think it was either. It was, I don't think it was Ether Delta. Was it Um, new Dex on EOS? (laughs) IDEX. Um, oh, you know what I did, uh, in 20, I want to say 2018, uh, I lost like an ether to flipping a coin and a smart contract. It was like a, it was like a gambling contract where you could just send almost three D. I don't remember what it was called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, this is like definitely pre D five. It was like one of the first smart yeah. contracts. And I was like, this is cool. I want to try it. <laughs> As it turns out, I lost both flips, but the degeneracy. Started started young. Got it. All right. And then the second question is, what is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity? What are some hobbies and interests of yours? Yeah. Um, I Let's see. I like biking a lot, playing basketball, uh, never skip leg day. Never skip leg day. Yeah. Never skip leg day. <laughs> um, I'm trying to dunk right now. Can't do it yet. I'd like to. It has leg day and dunking. Yeah. Wow. What's your vertical right now? Not high enough. Not high enough. We gotta we gotta pump up those numbers, Thomas. I know. Get those numbers up. (laughs) Um, What's some advice you would give to your younger self? And it can't be buy Bitcoin. Yes. Um, I'm a big fan in. I, I learn by doing a lot mm-hmm. and I've been, you know, I've been obsessed with crypto for hell nine or 10 years now. Uh, and, uh, but I just started working in the industry a year ago. I joined reserve, um, last April, the week before Terra Luna. Uh, and I, I love reserve. It, it, you know, checked all the boxes for me. It's like one of the smartest group of people I uh, was able to find, uh, we're building products that actually solve uh, pe- real people's problems. And um, I think that there's, you know, like a kernel of product market fit that I'm really excited to bring my product experience to help expand. Um, but, you know, I could have made the jump three years earlier when I was also obsessed with it and, and uh, had been building it. Better late than never. Yeah, exactly. So I think it would have just been probably taking a jump a little bit earlier. Got it. And to wrap this up, if you weren't in crypto, weren't in fintech, what would your professional career be? Uh, that's tough because that's like what my entire career has been. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so when the teacher asks you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, so I used to be MechEng, uh, and I, yeah, my my first job was actually. Uh, building like designing and building and inventing uh new things with a variety of different clients so like oxo everything from oxo kitchenware to pepsi vending machines 
Uh, and so Let's I'd talk probably, about real world utility. Yeah, exactly. And so I'd probably be building something, uh, but it just wouldn't be in crypto, but it would be more with my hands. And um, wow. honestly, I'd, I'd probably have ended up at Apple because that's where all the mechanical engineers in the Bay Area end up. <laughs> Once a builder, always a builder. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, that's it on my end. DeFi Dave. That's it for me. Thomas, thanks for, so much for coming on this one. This has been, like I said, very enlightening, very exciting. And I'm very, and I'm looking forward to how we all cooperate in the future. Likewise. Likewise. Great chat with you guys. Thanks. Great chat with you, man. See ya. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational